0: To turning on the podcast that is dedicated to living life in a state of turn on. Um, as you probably know, I am Elizabeth Hunter. I am a sex coach, and talking about sex is what I love to do, which is part of the reason why this podcast came into existence in the first place. And today I'll be having some very interesting talks, indeed, uh, because the guest on my podcast today is Erin Louise Cast, who is a physiotherapist specialized in pelvic health. So I don't know about you, but when I first started hearing about just how um, important our pelvic health is for our overall health and just how much so many things relate back to our pelvic health, I was frankly a little bit overwhelmed. So meeting Erin at a birthday party and talking to her about these issues um, made so much clear for me and I instantly knew I would love to have Erin on here to help some of you that maybe experience some of the same overwhelm when researching pelvic health and bring some clarity. so, all in all, I'm very happy with how this conversation went. I had so much fun. Um, it was so uh, informative and um, also inspiring for people who maybe struggle a little bit with their pelvic health. So, I think without further ado, I'm just going to let Erin do the talking. Uh, and I hope you all enjoy this episode very much. <laughs> so welcome to another episode of turning on the podcast dedicated to living life in a state of turn on and today I have a guest her name is Erin and I met her at a very juicy beautiful birthday party where she organized or held space for us and uh, facilitated a little bit of a massage workshop Um, the power of touch it was very juicy it was a bunch of women covered in oil so it's definitely a top tier memory there uh, and i think that's the moment that i realized i would love to have aaron on the podcast so without further ado welcome aaron um so glad you can be here and yeah feel free to introduce yourself and tell us who you are thank and you what much. you do Ah, oh, liz thank you so much for that introduction
1: um and i echo everything you said that was such a lovely first meeting point. Um, And yeah, just to to add on that, a little bit of background of myself. I am a physiotherapist by trade and this was why I took part in this workshop to try and teach a little bit more about the power of touch and the healing power of touch. So, that's kind of where we we first uh, met one another. And from there, we got into a little bit of a discussion a bit more about what I do. And I'm very passionate about the work that I do. And so I'm very excited to kind of share with you and your listeners today a little bit more about my area of physiotherapy, which is a little bit more intertwined with women's health.
0: Amazing. Yeah, I remember that was the juicy conversation. We were having physiotherapy, uh, women's health, pelvic health. And the first thing that then, I think that's also the first thing I told you was, oh my goodness, I've taken a workshop once, one workshop, uh, like maybe like a two-hour workshop, just in general about pelvic health. And I left that workshop feeling so overwhelmed because turns out, our pelvis has to do with so many elements of our personal health, our our feminine health, it it affects so many things. So I left that uh, workshop feeling a bit overwhelmed, thinking I need to do something about my pelvic health, but I don't really know where to start. I feel like I need to take three years off to dive into this. So yeah, what can you share with us about this, this, this big, big, overwhelming sometimes topic? And can you maybe help me and some of my listeners kind of cut through the overwhelm and just know like what's up and what is what is so juicy about working on this part of your body.
1: Yes, 100%. I felt exactly the same way when I came across this uh, sort of sub element to physiotherapy. So, mm-hmm. once again, a bit of background and how I got into this. Um, I'd studied my postgraduate of physiotherapy, which goes into more just your generalized muscle, musculoskeletal, uh, cardiothoracic, and respiratory physiotherapy. But there was this kind of course that I'd taken which was around women's health and pelvic health and even as a student I was so fascinated in this area and just intermittently throughout my career trajectory I kept coming back to women's health and one of the main things that drew me in to this part or this industry was how lacking of of information of services of of, of just kind of education that we have around pelvic health, around women's health in general. Um, and it kind of it got me on, on a little bit of a, a path to really try and bring more education to women around what we can offer and what we do in this area. So to break that down a little bit more um, specifically, I work with a lot of pre and postnatal women. And what that entails is a lot of pelvic floor rehabilitation, a lot of um, pelvic floor strength work, how women can go back to day-to-day life, back to exercise in a safe manner, how to go back to sex in a safe manner. Um, this also takes into conjunction with that um, risk factors associated with prolapse. Um, and we can Go a little bit more into that later um, if you have some questions around that. Um, But also around sexual dysfunction. And this is one of kind of areas I'm focusing a lot more um, at the moment because it's such a niche area of physiotherapy. And For me, I find um, even my patients who come to me with sexual dysfunction issues, and I'm talking about things like vaginismus, which is a locking up of the pelvic floor muscles and an inability to engage in sex, or just painful penetration with sex, or a lack of sensation experienced during sex. So... I find that these areas is is there's such a taboo around it and women feel so disheartened because there's there's not enough services in order to tell women there are things that you can do to help. And I've even had patients come to see me who have come from other health practitioners and unfortunately have been told that no, there's nothing that can be done. So I'm on a rampage at the moment. to try and get the message out there that you know there's there's so much that can be done to help these conditions, and just to try and try and cut the taboo associated with a lot of these conversations because these issues are something that women deal with so frequently. So, why are we not talking about it more and why do we not have just basic level education, even just going through the the birthing and the labour process? We need to know more and that's why I love what I do.
0: Oh, thank you so much for that full story. And what I really love about this and that this is such an expertise of yours is that, and I mentioned that to you before, um, a good friend of mine, Lynette, she's been a guest on the podcast here before, and she uh, shared her vaginismus story. So to now get both sides of the story, kind of both from the um, the person uh, with vaginismus and from the practitioner, uh, to kind of get the, both sides of that um, is amazing. And I think one thing that I really remember about her personal story is that she she went in um, uh, for treatment, and that was also something she found somewhere wasn't like super known. And then you went into that process together with a partner. You were waitlisted, you were screened, and then at some point, uh, while she was, they were approved, but they had to wait to get treatment. The relationship ended, um, and how then it was almost like sort of like a little bit of an exception that they still went ahead with just her. Um, and that is something that just grinds my gears. I've heard this also with prospective clients uh, talking about, yeah, no, I've noticed these issues around my sexuality or or my uh, arousal, uh, my desire. And uh, I actually went to the GP and they recommended us like this uh, therapist or whatever. Uh, but then I broke up with my partner and my GP said, okay, well, then it's not a problem anymore, right? Like, what? As if as if our bodies functioning as we want them to, as if our sexuality functioning as we want them to for ourselves, as if that only exists in service of a partner. That is wild to me. So, yeah, do you maybe have some more to share on that topic, on that partnered, non-partnered uh, uh, side of things? Yeah, that that story also,
1: also sort of grinds my gears a little bit because, I mean... I think it all interrelates into the history that we have behind um, sexual education and science um, with the like female orgasm, with female pleasure. Obviously, we know that it's been a much shorter history looking into female anatomy, looking into female pleasure. And unfortunately, we still have sort of residual effects today entrenched within the medical world. And when we're talking about something like vaginismus, in fact, most of the time when I'm starting out with my patients, I don't do any partner work. It is all individual work initially because it's such a personal journey, number one, and you know, often what happens with vaginismus is it's what we call a psychosomatic condition, which means that there is a physical component and a psychological component intertwined with this condition. So, firstly, there needs to be a lot of uh, work done identifying, okay, well, what is the psychological component initially and that can be anything from a sexual trauma or a physical trauma or just a a cultural trauma. Now, the body stores trauma in the same way. So, even though you might be someone who's not technically had a sexual trauma but you come per se from a cultural background which has a lot more um, shame associated with sexual exploration, your body will hold that trauma in the same way and then it will kick-start that physiological response. So, just on that kind of psychological aspect, that is so personal and a patient needs to go through that journey on their own first and what happens is that physiological response that ties in with that psychological trauma that pathway needs to be broken down so I do a lot of work with the individual first and only when they get to a certain level of physical repair and psychological repair do I then incorporate partner work but it needs to be done in a very like step-by-step systematic process. But yeah, so I, can, I completely hear what you're saying and understand the frustration that, you know, you can only get treatment if you're associated with your partner. No, it is your body. It is your journey. Only your partner is alongside you. So w- we need to do better. We need to do better with just providing that care and also educating practitioners on what we can do about about this and, and about solving these issues together.
0: Amazing. I couldn't agree more. And that's so good to hear. And I can, you know, I don't, I don't know that many physios. I don't speak with a lot of physios on a day-to-day basis, but just knowing what I have heard from people so far and their experiences, I, I, I see how your approach is refreshing and needed. And that's so great to hear that that's happening out there. And that also just reminds me of, why I feel so passionate in my work as a coach to work with individuals, because if we don't have that basis of trust and of safety within ourselves, how can we apply that to uh, a partnered context? Um, So yeah, definitely lights me up to hear that. Um, How would you feel has that been for you to have this type of approach? Because I can imagine that you kind of work with, that you are at least in your, your, while you're being educated, you're given like a certain um, approach Do you feel like you've deviated a lot from this approach or you've been creating kind of your own path? How's that been for you to have this view within uh, a medical context that has a certain view?
1: Yeah, really good question. Thank you for asking. So when I started out in in physio, it was very much just education based on how to treat the physical symptom, how to treat the body. And so I started off my career with very much that, treating the body. And I realized along the way that you cannot treat the body unless you treat the mind and the spirit as a whole. And that cropped up in so many different avenues, particularly coming over here and working with the NHS, understanding that sometimes patients just need an empathetic ear. Just an empathetic hand on the shoulder, someone to listen to to their worries is sometimes better than actually doing the physical treatment itself. And then I went through my own personal healing journey, um, I would say, where I couldn't get anywhere just treating the physical aspect. I needed to really uh, adjust myself and treat mentally. So I do find I'm going against the grain a little bit and creating my own path. But I think it's so vital, particularly with things like vaginismus or other types of sexual dysfunction or uh, women post the labour process who have issues with accepting changes with their body. You know, there, there is that that such close physical and psychological um, link. So you cannot treat one without the other. And that's why I feel so passionate about kind of empowering people with tools and with education and um, presenting the science behind things like rewiring your nervous system to calm everything down and this is what breath work is 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 entrenched in and what meditation is entrenched in it works on a physiological level but we all also know what benefits it has for our mind So, I've been taking a bit of a step to incorporating that a lot more into my practice with my um, sexual dysfunction patients. And it does make all the difference, 100%.
0: Amazing. So, what I'm hearing is that uh, you for self. Uh, for yourself experienced how you need the mental component in order to see changes and development in the physical component and that you're now applying these, yeah. Uh, these things like breath work and meditation in your physiotherapy uh, practice, which is amazing. So how, what kind of breath work would you recommend um, or guide a, a client through who's suffering from one of these uh, uh, sexual um I've forgotten the term you've been using. Issues, dysfunction. Issues, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> dysfunction, dysfunction. Yeah, it's not. It's not a disorder. That's no, not the right word. No, yeah.
1: <laughs> um. Yeah. So that breathwork is is the very first step that I will work with um, with a patient with vaginismus. So what happens on a physiological level is that the muscles of the pelvic floor spasm or they lock up in response to uh, a fear um, or response to a flight and fight that's been elicited within the body. So this can mean that the muscles are so tight that you cannot actually have anything penetrate, whether that be a finger or a dilator or um, a tampon. Or it could potentially mean that while you are engaging in intercourse, something might happen that causes the muscles to lock up and then makes the rest of of that engagement feel very uncomfortable. Now, I just want to have a little quick sidebar here and and note that if anyone is, is suffering from this or who has experienced this, the number one thing not to do is to push through pain. Okay? The pain is your body's response telling you that is something wrong. If you continue to push when you are experiencing this type of discomfort, it will actually make your body look up further and feed into that pain pathway. So that's, that's the first thing that I want to address. Now with breath work, when you take a deep diaphragmatic breath, very similarly to what we do with uh, meditation and mindfulness, what happens is there is an expansion in the abdominal cavity. Now that expansion also puts pressure down on the pelvic floor. So a healthy natural rhythm, you should feel a slight descend and drop in the pelvic floor muscles when you're actually taking a really deep diaphragmatic breath. And For anyone who practices any tantric techniques or any like um, chakra alignment techniques, a lot of pelvic breathing, you might actually be able to feel that expansion of the pelvic floor muscles with the deep breath. Often, what happens with people with vaginismus is there won't actually be a, a sensation of the pelvic floor releasing with breathing because there's been such a disassociation from the area. So to start off with, we need to keep that breath, not only to calm the body down when we're doing work, but also to actually get the muscles to elongate and drop down. This happens a lot during sex as well, that naturally we will hold our breath. (laughs) And, uh, you know, even to people, yeah, of course, why do we do this? Um, We hold our breath. And I think, I mean, at least for me, I know it's, trying to concentrate on actually receiving pleasure, which is such this, this weird paradox when if we just relaxed and breathed a little bit more, we would experience more pleasure. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, so that's, that's the first step. And then what I will get patients to do is explore self-touch. So Often people will have a physiological map on when their body starts to stiffen and tighten. So it's exploring those boundaries first with the breath. And what that does is it starts to break the pain cycle and that disassociation from the area and brings you into your body and allows your body to know, okay, this is safe. We are in a safe zone. Through that process, we can eventually start to bring that circle closer to the genital area, to the vaginal area. And if that is happening nicely with breath control and not locking up, that can allow me to then start to manually release the pelvic floor muscle, just as you would for a really tight neck, really tight back, the muscles of the pelvic floor are cellularly the same like any other muscle in the body, um, but it's that breath component that is so important to prevent that body from from locking up, from getting those anxiety reducing or anxiety inducing responses um, that will then allow me to do the physical work to actually stretch down the pelvic floor manually and then help just release the tension in that area. So breath is very, very important with what I do.
0: <laughs> mm, this is so interesting to hear. Um, also like physically how it how, how you do this in a session like that. And so then here, you mentioned at some point that when there's pushing through pain, that that is the number one thing you shouldn't do. And that instantly also reminded me of, of, of what I'll encounter with clients in sessions. I'll always tell them when we're trying to find um, past stories or conditioning or memories in our bodies. And if you feel resistance, I always say, let's not push through that. Let's show your body that we are not going to cross its own boundaries. Um, And yeah, there's some similarities there that it reminded me of. And then to hear you share what the session looks like, how the first few sessions is just finding that safety and that trust, exploring touch, because you are manually releasing the muscle there. So that trust that you and your client, your patient have together, is so important. Um, and if I just think on, uh, I mean, it hasn't happened very often, but the, the few times I've had a pap smear, for example, you know, I think my doctor was, was, was gentle enough, but still, you know, it's, it's never, it's never super pleasant. (laughs) Um, I remember one time I was getting, I was getting an, an, an STI test, um, and for some reason, they they also wanted to have a look inside. I'm like, okay, well, you know, you might as well. I'm here now. And then someone saw something and they wanted a second opinion. So there I am, spread eagle with the the speculum inside. And then they have to call upstairs to a different floor to have someone come in like... <laughs> I would prefer to not, much. <laughs> not be open like this to this level for that long. But yeah, you know, it's always an uncomfortable thing. And that's for someone who does not suffer from vaginismus. And I, I, I'm someone who generally... I, I can, I, and of course, I know the techniques, I know how to use my breath, I've, I've got some tantric experience, so I, I know how to relax my myself quite well. Someone who does not have that, and then even someone with vaginismus, the, even the idea of having someone manually, that's such an in, intimate thing, um, uh, come relax your areas. So it's, it's great to hear how, how you build up to this and how you take that, 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 that component of, of safety and trust, um, and first having the relaxation and the breathwork. And that's amazing to hear. And I think that that in itself must be, uh, already quite the, the healing experience for your, for your patients. Totally. And I think
1: you really hit the nail on the head talking about safety. Um, I have also had a couple of, uh, not great pap, uh, pap experiences over here in the UK, um, just being in a very awkward position. And obviously the pelvis needs to be rotated a little bit posteriorly in order to get, um, to get into the vaginal canal easily and I was not in a good position and I was really painful and uncomfortable. Um, But often I will get uh, clients coming into me feeling so scared because they've either gone to see somebody about this before or gone to have a certain scan or had um, an internal examination by a, a gynecologist or a doctor or something along those lines where it's just happened too fast, too quick, and has been an extremely painful experience for that person, which unfortunately feeds into the trauma loop. And it's, it's really unfortunate because these cases, like I said, because it's that psychological component and physiological component, it needs to be approached with such care. And I think, I don't know whether it's because of my background in chronic pain, in really understanding how muscles work, which I feel that's what physios are are specialized in, the musculoskeletal um, level, which some practitioners don't have the same understanding. So, yeah, it's, it is so important to approach carefully, gently, as you said, like finding that body's internal resistance and, you know, we need to even do better with education for practitioners because it's, it's not their fault if we don't have education for people in general. You know, um, they're just doing the best they can to treat the patient the best they know how. Um, and, and so there is that barrier there. And this is why, uh, you know, I say again, I'm, I'm so passionate about education, bringing tools that people can work with and empowering people to know that there are things that we can do to help you we just slowly slowly need to approach it
0: (laughs) Mm, yes amazing and that's yeah when when care when medical care physiological care when that becomes uh, a a product um which i mean depending on where you are in the world it it it, it almost seems to become that it becomes like um oh in dutch they'll say um conveyor belt work like it's 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 a factory line yeah factory line work when it when that happens you lose the opportunity to have that human approach uh, and to take that time so yeah amazing to hear that I mean your passion I think that's exactly what we need right now um and that just makes me curious what do you think are some of the tools that you wished practitioners would have and maybe what are some things that you would love just us regular non practitioner folk, uh, to know what are maybe some things that uh, people can do themselves to help build this sense of safety, maybe, or to improve their pelvic health? Uh, yeah, really good questions. So, I guess, I guess,
1: on around the practitioner side, is that I think there is a lot of egotism within Western medicine. And I have experienced that as a practitioner and I have experienced that as a patient myself. Mm -hmm. I think that when, when people or practitioners struggle to treat a condition and it's put in a too hard basket, you know, people's concerns and voices are not listened to as much as they should be. Um, and it happens a lot with multiple chronic illnesses. It happens a lot with these illnesses that do have a psychological component that doesn't just fit, fit the bill or fit the testing or fit the scanning. And I would just like implore, you know, practitioners to just think a little bit about maybe bringing in those Eastern approaches because Western medicine does not answer everything. In the, and this is just my opinion. As a trained professional within the Western world, I think it wasn't until I started incorporating more Eastern practices, more with the mind-body connection that I feel like it really unlocked a lot of issues um, for people, for patients, for myself as well. Mm. So I think it's, it's, it's just... Putting your ego aside and and being okay with not knowing the answer to everything and not being afraid to ask questions or seek um, seek the education in an area if you don't know how to treat and call on your colleagues and bounce ideas off because multiple minds are better than one. And that's how I learned. I, you know, have made so many mistakes in my career. But that's how you learn and grow is 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 taking on opinions and cases and and really just coming at it with an open mind is is what I would say. And I guess from a patient perspective, just in terms of pelvic health in general, just if you're if you have experienced wanting to seek help for some pelvic uh, pelvic health issues and not getting anywhere, don't give up stay in the fight. You just need to find someone who aligns with you and what you're after. I know it can be really disheartening when you search for answers and, you know, it seems like a dead end, but there's always something that can be done. I feel very optimistic about that regardless of what condition that you have. I think there's always something that we can do to help and to heal and our body naturally wants to heal. So, I think don't, yeah, don't give up the fight and and be aware that there are these these conditions. You're not alone. Um, we need to do more with talking about these issues, which is why I was so excited to come on this podcast and, and chat to you, Liz, um, because, yeah, it's, it's these conversations that will help people know that there is a solution. There is something that can be done to help themselves, which... I think, whew, I mean, if we all kind of had that that mentality and, and know that we could heal, then we would all be in just a better headspace in general, I think.
0: Yes, and that headspace is like half the work, I think, with some of this, these these aspects around healing. And I love how you pointed out the, the uh, trust level with your practitioner and that you're allowed to keep on looking because that's for sure something I didn't really realize when I was younger. I remember when I was... Um, seeing a therapist in my early 20s, I got sent to a therapist and we got along well and it was a good fit. And then at some point, I think I was in therapy like on and off, but regularly, consistently for about three years. And then towards the end, at some point, there was a moment where I didn't, yeah, she wasn't the right fit for me anymore. But I didn't really know that it was an option to say, oh, I would actually like a different one. I had no idea. Uh, and it wasn't until I, at some point, I got a GP and we just we just gelled well. It was a very just chill guy. And then I realized, oh yeah, no, I actually have the ability to say yes and no to practitioners and to find someone who maybe has similar views like you to Eastern Western or an openness to it. I think that's such a powerful stance because as a someone with anything medical that needs attention, you do sometimes feel like a victim to the medical system. Uh, Like you are just trying to get help and just being tossed and turned. And especially in the Netherlands, because here they are very good at saying, oh no, that's not my responsibility, I'm passing you along and everyone says it's not my responsibility so it, c- it can make you feel a bit desperate but there is actually you do have power you do have choice you do have options so thank you for pointing that out um and there was another thought that I had based on your story that uh, that has disappeared <laughs> <It's> um, <laughs> Um, so yeah maybe that what what are some things like pelvic health top tips because I remember I think we've discussed this briefly too like I had heard some things of what you shouldn't do so apparently Okay, I'm doing it right now. Apparently you shouldn't sit with your legs crossed too much because it puts some pressure on your pelvis and definitely shouldn't hold your pee for too long. And I, um, I try to do that. So there's yeah. a lot of things that you shouldn't do. And if there are <laughs> yeah. big things that you feel like we should know that we should not do, please feel free to share. But also maybe are there some things that we should do? Maybe some, some yeah, slightly less... Um, yeah, yeah. Less <laughs>
1: yes um so i mean look in terms of the crossing the legs that's that's a very interesting one i for the average person fine cross your legs if it feels comfortable not a problem thank god (laughs) it's, it's fine go go ahead um interestingly enough crossing your legs is actually a technique that we incorporate with bladder retraining so for people who are struggling um with uh, with what we call urgency so that's um that's when you get the sensation to go to the toilet and you feel like you have to rush there or you're getting a lot of like pressure within the pelvis we actually try and retrain people to to improve the capacity of their bladder and what that means is not to go on first Mm -hmm. urge so when you get the first sensation to go to the toilet don't actually urinate you wait till the second urge and Ways to distract yourself from going to the toilet include crossing your legs, scrunching your toes, sitting on something hard, um, doing a couple of pelvic floor squeezes. So, you know, in that case, 100%, cross your legs, go for it. Um, and I guess as well as a big, big do, and I'm talking to all um, pregnant listeners out there, for all new mamas out there. Your pelvic floor strength is so, so vital and so important. Um, I think there's like such a lack of resource out there on how to take care of your pelvic floor health and your pelvic floor strength when you're pregnant and after having children. Um, it's not just doing your squeezes in sitting and lying, which is what, most people work themselves back to you need to retrain your muscles to a functional capacity so they can hold you support your spine um in standing in loading and and doing particular exercise if people don't do the appropriate pelvic floor work after having kids that is when you're at risk of developing things like a prolapse or um, having incontinence issues or wetting yourself with coughs and sneeze. It is common, but it's not normal. And we can do lots to fix that.
0: <laughs> common, but not normal. I love that. And yeah, I think you hit the nail. That's also one of the things that I got taught in that workshop is that people just kind of accept, oh yeah, if you're a woman, if you've had children, if you are above this age, you know what, everyone pees themselves a little. And of course me, that was also kind of around the time where I started realizing, I just realized I know absolutely nothing about menopause. I think that was um, it was it was a very hot summer, and my uh, my house at the time got very hot. So during the day, I escaped to my parents, where it generally is quite cool. Um, and then my mother had some friends over for tea, and they started someone they were they were talking about their menopause symptoms. and I was sitting on the other side of the room just doing my own thing, and I was horrified. Uh, one by some of the things they shared but mostly by the fact that I had no clue that this was and that menopause was something that could last for years um, and I think something like this also yeah we all think like it's normal we all pee ourselves a little bit but actually it, 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 it doesn't mean that it has to be that way just because we think it is a part of things. Uh, no, there's something you can do about that. We don't have to all pee ourselves just because we are above a certain age. Or so let's let's not. Because I would I would prefer not to. <laughs> yeah,
1: one hundred percent, one hundred percent, and um, you know. If- Funnily enough, uh, you know, this this conversation around menopause is is another iron in the fire of taboo, something that every single woman will go through uh, at some point in their lives. Why are we not talking about it more? Um, And menopause also has a really big impact on um, pelvic health. And it's because when we go through menopause and we have a lower amount of estrogen estrogen circulating through our system it actually affects the connective tissue elasticity within our bodies so this is why if you've had a baby or you know you've, you've you've had a couple of children and you're fine in the sense that you're not wetting yourself or you haven't experienced any prolapse symptoms you go through the menopause process that lack of estrogen causes a weakening even further and an elongation of the connective tissues in your pelvis and that's when you actually start getting the symptoms of prolapse the symptoms of wetting yourself and this is why sort of there's there's a lot more cases of elderly women or older women who are suffering from these issues because they're not doing the work before they're getting to that stage of menopause
0: Mm. So yeah, even then, if maybe you didn't experience it right after childbirth, it could still then come after menopause. And yeah, I've also now learned that exactly when menopause starts is also quite variable. So you don't even know exactly when that would be. So what, what would you, because I've heard that uh, in terms of strengthening the pelvic floor, kegels that's like a term that we've all because all of a sudden the women's magazine started talking about kegels um and i have heard also that just doing kegels is maybe not the perfect thing because that only works on yeah increasing the tension please correct me if i'm wrong and sometimes you, you also need to be able to relax properly so yeah. I've, I've heard that uh, uh, jade or crystal egg, uh, glass egg practices can be very good. Uh, I've got many peers who are uh, crazy about that. I've, I've, I believe it. I just, I don't do it myself that often. Maybe I should. But uh, yeah so I know that that is something that people can do to help improve their their pelvic health. What other practices or exercises would you recommend in that Yes, way? yes very good. <laughs> very good question.
1: Um and and it can be really confusing because you know it's 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 a lot more complicated than just squeeze. You know, what does that even mean? What are we squeezing? What are we doing? So and and before I go into this I want to sort of reiterate that the pelvic floor muscles are cellularly like any other muscle in the body. So if we want them to be able to perform a function, we have to retrain them to that level of function. It's like, you know, if we wanted to be able to do something in the gym, like a really heavy squat, right? And the only thing that we ever did was just, just, Body squats without any adding extra weight or progressing, we would never be able to just go in the gym and chuck a bunch of weights on our back and do a squat. That would be very dangerous. So the same thing with the pelvic floor. Firstly, just basic level activation. Is the sensation like you're trying to stop urinating mid flow or you're trying to stop passing wind? So you should feel a pull up and a lift within the vagina and the back passage all at once. Now, If you get really, really clever, you can actually start to isolate the different slings of the muscle and activate Mm -hmm. a little bit more anteriorly around your vagina, around your clit, which is great, by the way, ladies, for increased orgasms. Yes.
0: Yes.
1: Or you can then isolate more around the anus and anal sphincter there. But I think just for the purposes when you're starting out, you're just going to get a global kind of lift in the whole sling of the pelvic floor. So that's the basic level. Now, if you're someone who's really quite weak um, and you've you've gone through trauma like having a labour, we always start lying on our back because it's in a gravity minimised position. It's really nice to control with your breath. Then from there, we have to progress onto a standing position and then integrated with movement and then adding load and then building from there. So, it's more when we're starting to integrate pelvic floor squeezing with movement and with load that it becomes more functional. And I've actually had a lot of women who have gone to postnatal Pilates and have given themselves prolapses because they've not done the building blocks beforehand, and all of these movements actually cause more stress and strain on the pelvic floor, um, which is which is something that really needs to kind of um, be be driven home to women who are going through this process. And yes, you're you're very right in terms of the relaxation. So. Often when we talk about squeezing, um, people will do very quick on-offs, 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 nice and fast. But what that actually does is you're only strengthening through maybe a third of the capacity of the range of the muscle. It's like if we are doing um, a sit-up but we only lift our shoulders up a little bit and then go back down, okay? We're not doing the full length and therefore we're not strengthening the muscle across the whole length of Mm -hmm. its contraction. So the relaxation is really important to allow that squeeze up the muscles to then reduce, relax, so that the next contraction can be the full length of the contraction, um, and then building from the strength from there. Mm-hmm. So it is a little bit more complicated. And with what you were saying with things like the yoni eggs, um, or the, or the, the balls that, that people use. So uh, for me, I would use them for a very different reason. If we're just working on re-strengthening the muscle in general, I don't like to use any intravaginal devices. The reason being is when you put something inside your vagina and you squeeze around it, the muscles are getting a false reading of how strong they're squeezing because there's something inside you that's giving feedback onto the vaginal wall. I'm trying to re-innovate the the nerves of the muscle and trying to get patients to feel their full strength of contraction without this first. Now, when we're talking about people wanting to improve sensation, to improve um, orgasm, to kind of work a little bit more in those levels, absolutely get yourself a urinary egg, explore um, what that can provide you. And then when we're talking about the other end of the scale with, with over overactivated pelvic floor muscles, you know, once again, I find that people get really intimidated just getting handed a dilator because they look very scary. And, you know, for someone who, who can't even put a finger in, um, that that's very intimidating. So we start with just finger um, and we start, with external pressure on the vagina so you can come into the perineum which is the area between the vagina and the anus and you can apply a little bit of external pressure to allow some desensitization first and then from there once we get a certain stretch in the muscle yes then we can start incorporating wands and dilators and that's when I recommend it to my patients
0: amazing thank you for that thorough answer and yeah i think this also gives a little bit when we're thinking about that overwhelm when you start thinking about oh my goodness there's so much that you could do i think this is this the, these are clear things like if you're completely new to to the game just work on that sensation that 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 flexing that activating of the the pelvic floor and maybe don't even worry yet about <laughs> all the toys all the tools you could be using to put in there um cool and steps. also Yes. Baby steps. Yeah. And also great to hear that for sensitivity building, they can be great. And I think also if I look at my own personal journey, when I first started, like I could definitely notice general sensation in the area. Um, But true sensitivity on the inside actually really wasn't there that much. And I think for me, it was less the egg, more um, like a glass dildo, When I first heard glass dildo, I got this, I had to buy one as a part of a course I was doing. And I was a little bit intimidated by the thought of a glass dildo like that. Isn't that cold and hard and, trust me, I like it so much more than any silicone dildo that you could ever buy (laughs) Uh, because it also warms up with you as you go. But um, working with that, Consciously, like barely even just having it inside and then noticing what sensations were present. That's made a big difference for me in terms of my sensitivity and uh, uh, expanded my orgasmic range also with, well, I'm not going to say non-clitoral orgasms because actually the clitoris is so much bigger and it goes so much deeper inside than we generally know. So actually every orgasm is still a clitoral orgasm. It just depends on, where, uh, which part of the deep, deep (laughs) crevices, hallways, caveways of the clitoris you are. Um, but that made a big difference there. So, um, I think in the end it's, it's seeing where are you at and, and, and going at it with those baby steps and, uh, knowing that there's always help that you can find out there if you really want it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I love, I love everything that you've, you've just outlined, um, an emphasis, yes, on all, orgasms are clitoral orgasms Mm. the difference between our female female anatomies is where the nerve branches of the clitoris actually extend to so in some women they come a little bit more like anteriorly into the vagina some women a little bit more posteriorly into their anus so this is why some women can orgasm just through penetration um Uh, without sort of direct clitoral stimulation however you are still stimulating the nerves of the clitoris so yes I love that (laughs) um and yeah, very interesting with the glass dildo. I think there's definitely something to be said about kind of the, the level of friction that you can get with something like glass, as opposed to something um, like a plastic or um, a silicone or whatever you might be using. Um, and I, I guess, I guess the point, the point of all of this is what, level that you are at, there is always ways of exploration and things that you can do, whether it's Things like re-strengthening, um, your pelvis or returning to sex or increasing orgasm pleasure or increasing, um, the stretch in your pelvic floor. There's, there's so much to be done and it's such a big area. And, um, yeah, there, there's, there's options and there's lots to discuss. And yeah, it's all really exciting, to be honest. <laughs>
0: Definitely. And I think there actually then also the key is the central message is start figuring out there's a lot that could be done. There's a lot that could be developed. So start with yourself, start on an individual level, start exploring where am I even at? Cause I think for a lot of us, it takes quite a while before you start really getting acquainted with, with your pussy, with your vagina, with the whole pelvic area. So uh, get exploring by yourself, figure out where you are at right now and what it is that you need. Um, and you don't need a partner to do all of this work, uh, so that's something that I really hear as a, as a red thread here. Um, yeah,
1: absolutely. I second (laughs) all of that. Um, Um, yeah, just, just, just on the back of what you've said, if anyone is kind of struggling with these issues, just know that there are options out there for you. Um, it's just about finding the right practitioner. Um, and yeah, don't stay in the fight and just advocate for yourself because there will hopefully be a solution for you at the end of the day.
0: Yes. Oh, I'm so glad that you're sharing this message and I hope that people who need to hear this will be hearing this um and thank you so much for everything you've shared here it's it's uh, yeah we've been talking for a while now so i think i just have one last question i would love to ask you and that is since we're on turning on uh i would love to hear what does living life in a state of turn on mean for you what a good question <laughs>
1: Living life in a state of turn on for me would just be about like having balance in all areas of my life. So that's having balance and joy in my work, having balance and joy in my social interactions, having balance and joy in my relationships, having balance and joy with my relationship with myself. And I mean, I think it's a, a, a never ending story, isn't it? We're always <laughs> trying to find balance and we're always going to be constantly seeking that. And, um, I think, I think that just brings you general pleasure, you know, and it means yes. to just be able to enjoy life holistically, full heartedly as you should. But what a great question. <laughs>
0: Thank you. Oh, that was such a great answer. And yes, mm-hmm. I couldn't agree more because in the end, having that balance brings us more pleasure. And I truly believe that pleasure is our natural state of being. And that's our, our mission in life, trying to get back to this place, find out where where are the things that are preventing us from accessing this pleasure and how can we help melt that away um so thank you so much for being here today and if people would like to find you potentially if they have any questions are you online on the internet Um, yes (laughs) so
1: very exciting i'm in the process of trying to create my own um, room own clinic so people can come and see me so my website is still under development but please if you have any questions email me email me at e l c physiotherapy at gmail.com so e l c physiotherapy at gmail.com and i am more than happy to answer questions or set up a call if you need
0: amazing i will make sure to add your email address also to the show notes Uh, and you are based in london so i'm assuming uh, your practice will be in london so for all the london listeners that's where you can Yes, in
1: London, um, but also more than happy to have a discussion over Zoom if you come from elsewhere in the world.
0: Mm, Amazing. Oh, well, thank you so much. I'll be adding all of this. I'm so happy uh, that I got to speak with you today. And then all that's left to do is uh, wish everyone a lot of Uh, fun in their pelvic health exploration journey
1: (laughs) (laughs) absolutely
0: thanks so much for having me
1: Liz I really appreciate coming on here and sharing my message it's been great Mm, thank you so
0: much